0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit
1: www.folfcrc.com.
0: Luke chapter 20, verses 19 to 26, page 879. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived that craftiness and said to them, "Show me a denarius. Who likeness and inscription does it have?" They said, "Caesars." He said to them, "Then rend them to Caesars the things that are Caesars, and to God the things that are God's." And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. This is the word of the Lord.
1: ask for God's help as we look at his word. Heavenly Father, we uh, just invite you by your spirit, Lord, to speak to us through this word. And Lord, I I pray for your help as I try to teach it, Father, that you'd help me to teach it clearly and faithfully. And uh, we pray, Holy Spirit, that as we listen to this word and look at the Lord Jesus through it, that uh, we would respond accordingly to who he is and what he's done. So please work that in us, we pray, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're new with us, we are continuing through our study through the Gospel of Luke. And we've been watching, haven't we, uh, week by week as things get more intense between Jesus and uh, the religious leaders and institution of Israel. Why is that? Why the intensity? Well, the major reason for that is that Jesus has finally publicly officially asserted his authority as king and you remember people have tried to make him king before you remember that you read about it in john 5 uh remember the crowds on the on the plains and there's nothing to eat and jesus takes the little boy's lunch right the the loaves and the fish and he just starts starts serving it up and he feeds thousands and thousands of people with baskets left over and they're like crown him as king and you can understand it right who doesn't want an economy with free, miraculous food? But he withdrew then, didn't he? He backed away. He wouldn't have it. He was not ready to come out as king because it wasn't time, and because he's not that kind of a king. But you'll remember now, we've been studying it. He's entered Jerusalem at Passover with crowds swelling around him singing his praises he went to the temple overturned it as corrupt shut it down even for a moment with all the activity focused on himself his teaching his healing of the lame and the blind but this certainly gets us to uh what is one of luke's main points he's he's boxing us with it week after week it's going to be like a month and a half for us here and the question is this how do you respond to jesus claim of authority How do you respond to his claim of authority? Because Jesus is saying, if you want to know me, you have to know me as your king, your ultimate authority. You have to know me as your king. Not a politician kind of king, right? People be happy with that. Like I said, heal all the sickness, free food. That could win, but that's not what Jesus is after. And not just a teacher. The religious leaders are happy with him as a teacher. Hey, we're happy with you as a teacher. Just give us good advice. But don't take over. Jesus won't do either of those. He comes as the the divine promised king who wants to be king over you. Your heart, your mind, your soul, your motives, your truth, yourself, your goals, your life, your everything. He wants to be, you know, how come he didn't go to the Roman uh, fortress when he came into Jerusalem? Set people free from Rome. How come he didn't go even to Herod's uh, castle or whatever he lives in—I don't know if it's a castle, mansion, palace. How come he didn't go there and, and reorder Israel? That's not what he was after. He went after—he went to the temple. He wants your worship. He wants your worship. What you love, what you serve, what you live for. And we've seen, haven't we? And we'll see it over and over again. We see it in the religious leaders. The human heart doesn't always respond very well to Jesus' assertion of total authority. It doesn't respond very well to Jesus' assertion of total authority. Let me try this one on you. Hey, Jesus says, submit to me. You know what happened? I say the word submit, and it's like a flock of mosquitoes just went after you. Except they're not flocks. What are they? That's geese. I don't know. Swarms. Thank you. Swarms of mosquitoes. I said the word submit, and you went like this. Right? Submit. Because what? No. We're Americans. Right? We're individuals. We don't submit, but hear me, Jesus says loud and clear, what's he say? Submit. Submit. Uh, Last week, uh, you heard Habib open up this parable about the vineyard that comes right before the text we're looking at this morning, and there Jesus basically said, right, that the leaders of Israel, those who are meant to steward the vineyard of God's people for God's sake, they want to replace God because they want to be the authority themselves, to the point that when God sends His very Son, they would kill Him so that they could be in charge. You see this. At, what's their attitude towards Jesus' claim of total authority? It's murderous. We want anything other than to submit totally to a King like this. You think about this more and more, and the text starts to grab you. And I just, I just want to remember a few things with you. Is you know, even as we talk about Jesus' claim of authority, you realize, right? You already have an authority. There's uh, different ways of looking at this. One is like the, the ontological way, the metaphysical way. Here's what I believe about this. Jesus is absolutely king right now. He is the authority, okay? But that's not the way I'm talking about it right now. You actually already listen to something and serve something every day. You have right now a practical authority. And so the first question this text wants to do for you is ask you to be honest about that. And just name it. What is your authority? You know, we all have to answer these ultimate questions of life somehow, right? Where did life come from? What is life for? What makes things right, wrong, meaningful? How do I handle this situation, that one? What happens at the end? What's the great story that ties it all together? What's your answer for that? That will tie into your authority. We all have to choose how to live in this world. Are you gonna handle these relationships, these choices, these sorrows, these opportunities? What makes it right and wrong? What's the mission? How do you answer that? What's your authority? Maybe some of you might say, I don't know. Uh, and maybe some of you might say, I think I'm the authority. And you know that's what our culture is telling you to do. Do what feels right. Do what you think is good. So you have an authority, you have a worship, you have someone you're serving. <clears throat> Excuse me. I got <clears throat> got something hanging on. <clears throat> we have authorities, Jesus is claiming to be the ultimate one. And he wants to do undo all competitors. He wants to undo all competitors. So what's our response to his claim of ultimate authority? What's your response to his claim of ultimate authority? We see the response of the religious leaders, right? Again, it reminds us of how the human heart responds to this claim. Think about the scribes and the priests and uh, their identity that comes with the authority they have over the temple. They're seen as respected, powerful, influential, wise, the leaders. And not only that, they're making some good coin on the side from the temple. Remember that? you got to have the approved money, approved sacrifice. Jesus comes in and overturns that. Overturns that. Says, this is wrong and you're off. I'm the authority. And you, you have that moment. Jesus says to them, you're wrong, you're off, you're in danger of judgment. What could they do? What could they have done? We don't see it, but what could they have done? They could have said, have mercy on me. You're right. I need you. Jesus would have received them. But this tension of them having to give up this identity and power, their own authority, and to submit to his is something they just, it literally sets them on fire and you see in verse 19 what they want to do it was in our text this morning the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him when that very hour for they perceived that he had told that parable against them but they feared the people so what do they want to do when he's right there in the flesh saying i'm the ultimate authority submit what do they want to do kill him what do you want to do What does our world want to do? Now, most most folks wouldn't say, if Jesus was here, I'd kill him. Right? Most folks wouldn't say that. But many, many, many folks would say, I don't want him as my king. Or I'll take him as like a partial king, you know? I like him for this part, but this part of my life, I'm keeping that for me. I'll take him as a good advice teacher, but that part of my life, I'm keeping that for me. I don't want to kill him. I just don't want him as king. But listen, that's who he is. He's ultimate authority. He's king. And so if you tell him you don't want who he is, then don't you want him not to be? Don't you want him dead? Well, for the scribes and chief priests right then, they didn't have that, op- that option, right? The, pe- the crowds are enamored with Jesus. They're enamored with him. And so they can't kill him right now because the, the crowds are all tipping Jesus' way. So what do we do when we want to reject Jesus' authority, but of course we can't get our hands on him, right? How do we, what do we do with this? You undermine his authority. You undermine his authority. You come up with reasons, rationalizations, for why it doesn't fit For Jesus to be your authority right here and right now. And that's what these guys do. Undermine the authority. So we're we're gonna look at this passage, and we're basically we've seen that Jesus has claimed to be ultimate authority. Now we're gonna watch religious leaders respond to Jesus' claim by undermining it. Then we're going to see Jesus respond to their response. And he's gonna show you, I think it's gonna vindicate the validity of his authority. So they respond to his authority by trying to undermine it. He validates his authority in the wisdom that he gives. And then the third picture, we see their response to Jesus, his response to them. Why did, Luke write, why did Luke write this? Just a history lesson? Could we sit here and go, man, those chief priests, they were idiots, and just leave it at that? What does he want from us? How do you respond to Jesus' authority? How do you respond? So let's look. Their response to him, his response to them, our response to Christ. First of all, we see the scribes and the priests want to undermine Jesus' authority and just come up with a nearly genius plan. Verse 20. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. And this is a little bit hilarious because they've been so severely trounced by Jesus. What do they dare not do in person? They cannot go and sit there next to him in person because his authority is so great. They'll they'll be embarrassed. They'll be ashamed. And so what do they have to do? You know, send out the minions, right? Right? Send out the minions, the invisible ones who are spying on him. I mean, can you imagine this tension? You know, if you guys held me to this like standard of perfection every time I preached, I would fail, you know, so badly. Jesus has this crowd of spies, you know, with their little they don't have iPhones, right? But whatever they're however they're doing this, you know, every little jot and tittle waiting looking for something to get wrong and they're pretending to be sincere oh jesus jesus and they're watching to catch him in something he said and what's the goal we got to get him in front of the governor here's the issue Here's the issue. They're thinking we've got to undermine Jesus' authority. These things can work out together. We've got to get him to be the next in line on fake warrior messiahs. There were lots of those at the time. We've got to get him to be the next in line here. We've got to get the people riled up so that Rome comes. And then when Rome arrests Jesus, what will the people then realize about Jesus? Because we know, right, a messiah can't be arrested by Rome. Then the crowds will give up on him will undermine his authority. And they come up with a nearly perfect question. The more I study this, the more I think, these guys are good, they are clever. Listen to this question, verse 21. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? We're talking here about the tribute tax, and I think all taxes to Rome are kind of included. Um, You'd have to give one denarius. It's like a day's day's wage to Rome once a year. And this was a huge controversy at the time, huge controversy. So on the left, kind of more progressive side, they would say, hey, let's go ahead and pay the tax because it could be worse. When Rome took over your land, they usually didn't say, you have to stop the way you worship. They'll let you worship the way you want, as long as you submit to them politically, and so it's like we pay the tax. The Romans let us do our things as long as we don't make trouble, and uh, we can we can keep doing things kind of as we see fit. Go ahead and pay it. But on the other side, this tax represented their slavery. This tax represented how Rome owned Israel, and you know what? You get paid. You get killed if you didn't pay this. Uh, Joel Green, commentator I've been reading, he said, Failure to pay the tribute was tantamount to disavowal of Roman rule, and this during a period when Roman policy provided no quarter for its sedition. So this tax represented slavery and servitude to Rome. Not only that, it felt idolatrous. And, uh, you know, for a religious Jew, no graven images, and guess what's on that coin? A graven image. Not only that, it's an image of Tiberius Caesar, at least some of them. And it says something like, son of the divine Augustus. So what's the Caesar claiming to be on that coin? I'm God. And for a Jew to have to carry that around, carry an idol in his pocket, and then give that tax to Rome, support—and and what does that tax support? wickedness injustice servitude so think about it you want to pay that tax show your slavery to this pagan empire uh, carry this idolatry around with you support all this evil it was such a big controversy there was actually a guy named Judas the Galilean who read, led a revolt around 6 AD over this very issue faithful Jews don't pay this tax Led a revolt. It's referred to in Acts chapter 5, if you want to read it later, as a failed messianic effort, squashed by Rome like a grape. And what do the scribes and chief priests want to happen to Jesus? They want him to be Judas the Galilean, part two. Okay? So it goes like this. Flattery, trap, undermine. Flattery. Did you hear the way they spoke? Wow. So they asked him, Teacher, we know you speak and teach rightly. Show no partiality, but teach the way of God. (laughs) Why the flattery? You know the difference between flattery and encouragement, right? Flattery wants to get something. Encouragement wants to give something. This is flattery. They want to get something. You know, if, you, if you've got a young teacher, I know because I've, I've felt this. If you have a young teacher, and I'm, I'm not young anymore. If you have a young teacher and, uh, hey, you, teacher, we really appreciate how you preach the word of God. And Oh, thank you, you know. And you don't care what people think about, it. oh, you're right. Although what you're saying about me right now feels so good. Right. But I don't care. I don't need it. We have a question for you, right? And every young teacher's like, oh, they're coming to me with questions. And so you're all pumped up and and think about what they're trying to do. And the crowds love Jesus and they're all right there in the temple. Jesus, we know you don't care about what anyone thinks. In subtext, we know you don't even care about what the Romans say. You're free from them. Look at all these people supporting you, right? They're trying to gear him up so that he's ready to do what? Off with Rome! And then they'll say, ah, we got what we wanted. Flatter them to get him to overspeak. But it's ironic, isn't it? Because look at their flattery. Guess what's, what do you notice about their flattery? It's true. I mean, it's true. This, you know, this, this, listen, you get all these questions in a row in these passages, and the question's never really about the question. they're They're not really talking about taxes. They want to undermine Jesus. The next one, they're not really talking about the resurrection. They want to undermine Jesus. The next one, they're they're not really after any of these questions. They're trying to undermine Jesus. And we see they're just playing games. And so the the big picture question is, are they a trustworthy authority? Do you want authorities who just play games? No. Who's the only one who remains sincere and truth-oriented? Jesus, so it has this ironic... He is the trustworthy authority. Flattery first, then the trap. The trap of a yes-no question. How do you feel about yes-no questions? Do you like them, yes or no? (laughs) (laughs) They're often too simplistic. They don't give the option for wisdom or depth. So they give him this yes-or-no question. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar Or not. They set the ground rules with the yes or no question. You can go here or you can go there. If he says yes to the tax, what does that do to his authority as a Messiah? It undermines it. Come on. Is any real Messiah going to offer tribute to pagan kings? No way, right? You read the Old Testament. The pagan kings offer tribute to the Messiah. That's what happened with David, right? No, would would any real Messiah support idolatry? If he says just yes to this tax, the whole cleansing the temple thing is a fraud. That was an act. He didn't mean it. If he says a blanket yes to this question, he will be rejected by the people. They are all against this tax and against Rome. His authority will be what? Undermined. We can't kill him. Let's undermine him. On the, other side, on the other side, if he says, no, we shouldn't pay the tax, we should revolt against Rome, sedition is a capital offense. And guess who's just around the corner? The Roman army. And they can go to Rome and say, there's someone claiming to be king and denying the tribute to Rome, and history is full of the stories of what happens to people like those that get obliterated. So Jesus, either way, I mean, it's a, it's a very clever question, isn't it? Either way, here Jesus in front of this crowd. He has to answer. He's on the spot. They're all watching. Thousands are all watching, and the stakes are immensely high. Are you Messiah or not? Pick one. The crowd will hate you. Rome will kill you. Pick one. Now, yes or no. I'd be like a deer in the headlights. I didn't practice. I didn't take that class in seminary. Uh, Oh, but Jesus, hmm. Doesn't the human heart do this when it wants to get out from under Jesus' authority? Yes or no questions. Hey, isn't the church full of hypocrites? Yes or no? If you say no, you're a liar. If you say yes, then well, Jesus can't be Lord, right? Because look at all his fake people, can't be Lord. Yes or no? That's not a yes or no answer. Isn't the Bible written by humans? Yes or no? Yes? Well, why would I trust the opinions of a human as my ultimate authority? Who are you trusting as your ultimate authority if it's not the Bible? Will I have to align with this this political party? Yes or no? Because if I do, Jesus can't be Lord. Or... Does God bring suffering, yes or no? Because he can't be good if he brings suffering, right? Does he bring suffering, yes or no? You see what happens with all these yes or no questions? And sometimes people use them to say, see, Jesus can't be king. I'm out. See? He can't be the authority. I'm out because of this, because of that. Listen, I'm not demeaning any of those questions if you're asking sincere questions about politics or hypocrisy in the church or the nature of Scripture. Those are all important questions. But the question beyond the question is, do you really want to hear Jesus answer to the question? Do you want to hear the depth of what he might say? Or are we just trying to shake off his authority with simplistic questions so that we can remain in charge of our lives? Look at Jesus' answer. Jesus responds to their attempt at undermining his authority. Number one, you see Jesus knows their heart. Verse 23, but he perceived their craftiness. What does he see? Their craftiness. Does Jesus see our motives even today? Does he see not only the questions you're asking, but why you're asking them? Sometimes that second part is far more interesting. You know, I have a question I need to ask, you know, for a friend. (laughs) Is this allowable? Can I do this? And, And what if the underlying question is, I want to be in charge of my life and not have to have him be in charge? He sees our motives. Listen, we want to be a church where if you have sincere questions about anything under the sun and how it relates to Jesus, we want to talk about that. We want to try to answer it. Truth has answers. Ask the questions. Ask away. This is very important to me. I want to be able to ask those questions. But the bigger question than that is, what's your motive for asking the questions? Say Jesus came up, you know what, say, say he is legit as the authority. Would you submit Because some people keep asking, 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 just so they can feel like they have an open mind and never land anywhere, never commit to anything. He sees our motives, and he exposes theirs. And I told you a lot of Jews at that time did not like to walk around with a denarius in the pocket. You remember why? It's like a little idol, Most Jews wouldn't have them. Jesus says, show me a denarius. And what happens pretty much immediately, it seems like. And I like to think there was a little pause right there. And Jesus just kind of goes. Because they have one. This crowd has one. How come he knows this crowd has one? Because the chief priests were in league with Rome and they supported the tax. Exposed just a little bit. Oh, I see. Why are you asking the question? Sounds like you've already come to a conclusion. Why are you asking? He, expo- he sees their hearts, exposes their hearts, and then he answers with wisdom. By the way, does he fall into their trap of yes or no? No. Look at this. It's just It goes so deep. Whose likeness and inscription does it have, he says. And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, okay, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And what do we all have to do when he talks like that? Hmm. We have to think. We have to ponder. He's taken us from the simplistic yes or no question by which we can undermine his authority and run away, and we have to go, What is he saying? We have to, we have to grab on to his wisdom that he's sharing. We have to consider it. Who's on the coin? Caesar. And the, and the Greek kind of means give to Caesar what's already Caesar's. Who printed the money? Caesar. It's his. So what do you owe to him? Because it's his in this little kind of parable parabolic statement. You owe it to him. Give him what's his. But then Jesus just throws on give to th- Give to God the things that are God's. So, hey, does anybody have an image of the Caesar? Yeah, right here. Anybody see the image of God anywhere? Hey, what's printed on you? And you. The image of God. Who made you? God. To whom do you belong? God. So what then should you give to God? God. You, yourself, you're everything. And the way you do that is by submitting to His Messiah. Wow. Genesis 1: 126 and 127, God said, "Let us make man in our image after our likeness, let them have dominion." Verse 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God He created a male and female. You're made in his image. That means he gave you you, and you owe him you. Everything. So much depth here. But one issue, hey, just, you know, Jesus does answer the question in a way. Should we pay taxes or not, and why? What's the short answer? Seems like it. Listen, didn't he already tell us about the nature of his kingdom? It's going to be in two parts. has not we seen this before? The first time he's going to come, did he ride into Jerusalem on a white horse? No, that's when he comes back. What did he ride in Jerusalem, remember? A donkey's colt, humble to bring salvation. He said his first coming would be about humility, salvation, to die on a cross for our sins. But then he's going to come back. What's he going to do then? Reign explicitly over all things, and the governments will be his. Which means that until Jesus return, his people will be citizens of two worlds, two places. Which means, are you sometimes going to need to participate in flawed governments? Yeah, all the time. And what does Jesus say to his people about that? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. God has established governments, even flawed and wrecked ones. By the way, when you find one that's not flawed and wrecked, give me a call. Flawed and wrecked ones. If this command is true under Caesar, we have it better. Is it true here? Yeah, we are participants in flawed kingdoms and in this age we will never have an explicitly christian government or nation it's not because it's it's not because the idea is bad how come we can't do it it's not because the idea is bad it's because the people are bad (laughs) people are bad Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So we participate as citizens of this world. But where's our loyalty, our fealty, our ultimate authority? It's Jesus, our king. Where does Jesus reign explicitly here and now? Hopefully, anyway. Where does he reign explicitly here and now? I hope he reigns right here according to his word. I hope he reigns right here in the hearts of his people in the local church. That's where Jesus is seen as king. We're citizens of two worlds. And by the way, his apostles saw this clearly, very clearly. Uh, You may have noticed uh, last week we talked about the cornerstone, Jesus talked about that. And then Peter, the Apostle Peter, talked about the cornerstone and how the church is built on the cornerstone. It's so interesting that uh, Peter seems to be tracking on all these themes. Jesus talks about the cornerstone, talks about taxes. Peter's going to talk about the cornerstone. Now look what Peter says here about us living in, as, two, as citizens of two worlds. 1 Peter 2.12. What's Peter say to the church? Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable. How should we look to the outside world when they see us how we live? Honorable, respectable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your what? Your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then right after that, verse 13, be what? Subject. Why? For the Lord's sake. To whom? Every human institution whether it be to to who the emperor as supreme or governors sent by him what's one attitude or set of good deeds that show we belong to god that makes our behavior look honorable it's right here in the text be what Subject to whom? The governmental authorities. Look at verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You know, at the time people would say when, when Christians said Jesus is Lord, they, they meant to it seemed like they were anti society, anti culture, anti our towns. They're against us, they're against everything. And so Peter's. Peter's saying, no, 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 no. Christians should be more for their neighbors than anybody else. Yes, we have an ultimate Lord, but we participate humbly in the society around us. Look at verse 16. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor who? Everyone. Love who? The brotherhood. Fear God. Honor You know, it's so interesting over the last, what, I guess, what, 12 years, how we watch Christians flop like the waves. Because, uh, you know, about five years ago, some Christians were like, we need to honor the president more, and the way some of you Christians talk about the president is horrible. And then you just turn the page onto the next four years, and whoa, other side, we need to honor the president more, and the way you all talk about the president is horrible. And we just, we'll just go, we'll go back and forth. You know what, the emperor... Nero, I'm going to go ahead and go on a, on, a, on a limb here, was far worse than anything we have seen of late. And what's our attitude t- towards him supposed to be, according to Peter? Honor. Does that mean you agree with everything? A well, good grief, no. Does that mean you can't say what you think is right or wrong? Of course not. Does that that mean that in a free society you you shouldn't play a part or you shouldn't make a stand or you shouldn't participate or give to this or that? Of, Of course not. Participate. But what's the spirit of it? Submission and humility. Because we are submitted to whom? The Lord Jesus. It's not rebellion against the Lord to have a submissive attitude to government. It is rebellion against the Lord to not have a submissive attitude towards government. But man, we hear the opposite all the time. There's stuff in our world today, even in Christian tribes today, it sounds like the, the Jews of the time, should we pay this tax? It's idolatrous. It supports evil. We're compromising. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Uh, you can look at Romans 13 as well. I'm going to skip that right now. You see the idea that Peter is saying, to have a submissive heart because we're participants of two worlds. For the Lord's sake, we submit as much as we can in our attitude and our behavior, to the governments, but sometimes we'll rebel for His sake as well, right? Because we're always submitted to Him. Look at this example in Acts chapter five. Acts chapter five. The apostles are preaching Christ in the temple. Acts chapter 5:27. The high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, what? We must obey God rather than men. Do you see the depth of Jesus' answer? Who's our ultimate authority? Our God in heaven in the name of Jesus Christ christ because he's our authority and because he's such a submissive and gentle and kind messiah we want to have an attitude of submission and love and participation as we live as citizens of this world but we do that because our ultimate authority in our allegiance is to him and any time there is a direct explicit you must disobey your lord what is our answer we cannot. And then we start a war. No. We say we cannot do what you will to us. We cannot disobey our Lord. Do, do what you will to us. Which means this. Am I going to, if there comes out a new law in the pipeline of California on what pastors can and cannot speak about, what do you need to hold me to and support me in? I'm going to speak about that the next Sunday. Because who's in charge of what we preach? Jesus. He's our authority. We choose Jesus. So wrap it all up. <laughs> Jesus drops us on them, right? They thought they had him. Who's on the coin? You know, you can imagine I'm pausing. Who's on the coin? Caesar. And they were just ready for him to go. And down was Caesar. He doesn't do that. Instead, give to Caesar what is Caesar, gives to God's what is God's. And I just imagine the whole crowd is going. And look at their response. Verse 26. They were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. What was what was what's how are they feeling? But what? What's that next word? Marveling at his answer. They became silent. What's the point, what do we do with this? Jesus claims to be the ultimate authority, yeah? The ultimate authority. Our hearts have a problem with that so often. We wanna undermine that authority. So we, put, we do all these things to get the question, to get a reason why he's not Lord. But if we'll listen to his depth, it's not him who's trapped. It's we who are trapped. And then if we're humble enough and open enough, we'll see. Isn't that another reason that he shows us he is the trustworthy authority? He does have the depth to understand and to teach and to be trusted. First thing we gotta do give to God what is God's by recognizing Jesus as the sweetest, truest, most faithful authority you'll ever encounter. You have to have an authority for your heart, there's a vacuum of it. You will listen to, serve, worship something. Everything else on the market is junk. Look at Jesus. You know, he will stand before Pilate. Isn't that amazing? In just a few days, he'll be betrayed, he'll be before Pilate, and he'll get crucified. And the crowd did reject him when he was arrested by Rome. But there was a, a trick at the end. He rose from the dead. Which means, what does that mean about his crucifixion? Was he just another mistake Messiah who failed? Oh no, his resurrection shows you this. Why was he dying on the cross? For all the times you and I have rejected his authority. Do you know any other authority like that? Who instead of smashing you for rejecting his authority gets smashed for you? Can't you trust an authority like that loving kind wise trust jesus as your authority his ways are right his ways are true over the years he convinces me over that my temptations to keep certain things from myself i realize i'm a worse authority to myself than jesus is he's better Trust him today. If you haven't trusted him as your king, trust him today. Trust your life for him. See his perfect life, his death for your sins, his resurrection. Trust him today. Second, give to God's what is God's with a sincere heart. Doesn't this passage encourage you to check your sincerity? Some of the questions you're asking, why Where are you looking for control? Is your heart towards God sincere when you look for his truth? And is it with a submissive heart which says, Lord, show me so I can follow you no matter the cost? Check your heart. What about a sincere heart towards others? Do we want to be a flattering church? I don't think we are, but just in case. (laughs) Do we want to be a flattering church, using our words to kind of steer people, control people for an agenda? Ugh, no. Do we want to be an encouraging church? Please, lavish it upon one another. But just check your heart as you talk. Flattery wants to take. Encouragement wants to give. Encourage. Third, show a heart of loyal submission in your participation in the world. Right? We're not getting into any details here, but we just saw what Peter said. We should show a heart of humble submission for the Lord's sake and speak in a way that stands out as lights. We are in a world of corrupt governments, but corrupt Christians are not supposed to be torches that burn things down. We're supposed to be lights of illumination in our sincere, submissive kind of love and service. Isn't that true? So may the small part of the world we touch see the beauty of Jesus' authority through the way we live together and in the world. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the greatest authority. There's nobody like you. Forgive us of our rebellion as we turn from you and don't trust you and make our own way. We pray that your Holy Spirit would cultivate in us the ability to, to see you, hear your voice, surrender to you. Lord, to ask those questions and learn your truth, but in the end, to joyfully bow the knee to the most beautiful, wonder, wonderful authority there ever could be, our Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name, our Father. Everybody said amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www folfcrc.com.